Lingard is joining in, and he's seen Martinelli! Extraordinary! Set it for Saliba! For Kyle Saka, beaten out by the Roos, and touched in by Jesus! Kyle Saka! Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bruise Banana FC podcast. My name is Justin. You can find me on Twitter at JFishAFC. And on Tuesday, Arsenal properly righted the ship with an emphatic win over Chelsea, which put Chelsea right where they belong in a relegation battle. I'm not sure if you have seen it, but ESPN put out an article where they outlined every single result for the rest of the season, which would see Chelsea finish the season in the bottom three. And I must say, it is not as far-fetched as it might seem. Today, we are going to properly laugh at Chelsea and you know revel in the distance between us and them. And of course, talk about that first half performance where we put the game out of reach. We played, you know, we got back to our style of football and it was really you know fun and fun to watch and reminded, I guess, a good reminder of how good Arsenal can be when everything is clicking. It was a perfect palate cleanser. I, I thoroughly wa- enjoyed watching the Arsenal during those it's 45 minutes and you know I wasn't really thinking about the recent results in that time I was just kind of enjoying in the moment how well we were playing of course it wasn't all sunshine and we're definitely going to touch on the second half and with me to do that is Luke you can find on Twitter at Echo Coon Luke how are you yeah I'm good now that I've finally seen Arsenal play again if you know what I mean it just uh feels like it's been a while since we've seen the team that has been so good for so much of the season and, you know, even though, as, as you were saying, it wasn't perfect, um, there was a lot of positives. And you can only be happy about that, to be fair, especially against Chelsea. And also with us today is Ben, who you can find on Twitter at BenBrowning3. Ben, how are you? Yeah, um, very well, thank you. Much happier with that first half and that second half, as I'm sure we'll uh, we'll touch on. But it's always nice to beat Chelsea. Um, it's not particularly difficult these days, but it's still nice. Yeah, I think, you know, let's go ahead and jump into it from the very beginning. And I think the best place to start is with the starting lineup. I and mean, when we previewed this match, we all thought that Arteta would go with the exact same starting 11. And he's shown that he doesn't really like to make a lot of changes. We said maybe Trossard would come in and that would be kind of the only place we expected to see a change. But we saw a, a very large change with the um, Jakub Kivior making his Premier League de- debut. And Mikel Arteta, one of the first things that he did when he, he got to Arsenal was you know, signing um, a left-footed center back. He, he is very stubborn in wanting to have a right-footed center back and a left-footed se- center back. He signed Pablo Mari, and yet he went with Kivior to have two left-footed center backs. Luke, how surprised were you that he made you know, this pretty, I guess, seismic change for, I guess, in the confines of what Mikel Arteta usually does and kind of what do you think that says about you know, kind of his reaction to the recent run. No, I was really surprised actually, because exactly what you were saying, we've seen pretty much throughout the entire of Arteta's tenure at Arsenal that he's so stuck in left footed centre back on the left, right footed centre back on the right. So for him to put a left footed centre back there feels to me like he felt like he was forced into a change. I think that as much as he's tried to maybe fix problems around the issue. The city was very enlightening to that extent. And I think that, I do think that um, uh, Arteta probably felt like something had to change. And even though I'd, I would have probably not assumed that the change would have been Kirill coming in a, at right centre back, I do think that a change had to be made. Um, 
And to be fair to Kirio, I think that he showed in that first half like a like a really good showing in the sense that you could see that the added kind of recovery pace. Um, I'm not going to quote this stat wrong because I think that I've been told that it has been quoted wrong at the moment, but the the point of the pitch where we were making defensive actions was um, 43.8 metres against Leeds on the April 1st and it was 50.3 metres um, on uh, against the Ch- in the Chelsea game. So whether or not that's obviously the defensive line or just the defensive actions, it shows that we're able to kind of get bodies up the pitch and make tackles up the pitch and win the ball back, which is something that's far more akin to what Arsenal were doing before we had like the slump. So I do think that having that confidence and that added recovery pace, like even if it was just like a mental thing, like it, it did us so much good. And you could see that from the, the tenacity and the pressing in the first half. Yeah, Ben, let's kind of just dive right into um, Kivior's performance. I thought that he, obviously, there's a caveat that Chelsea are really poor, and I don't think it's fair to Rob Holding to compare. Really, really poor. Going up against uh, Erling Holland and going up against uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Those are obviously two dramatically different opposition in quality there. But I do think that kind of what Luke was alluding to, that when we had Jakub Kivior, he, I don't think it was just you know that he his recovery pace was really good because that's that's true. I I think that it, it's very clear that he is just simply a better passer, and we were able to lean on him in just kind of you know tempo progression that that we didn't have with Rob Holding, and we were not you know we didn't have to bring Jorginho. We'll get onto him. We didn't have to bring Jorginho to stand right next to Kivior to kind of be that progressive center back because. Kivior was able to do it. So we were able to have a lot more control. And I think that started indirectly because of having somebody who's just naturally better on the ball. Then, you know, when analyzing, I guess, let's start just with you know, the first half. Or never mind. Let, let's just, you know, talk about his performance as a whole. What did you kind of make and, and what can you kind of take away from this with obviously the caveat that Chelsea are pretty much pretty terrible? Yeah. Um, like Luke, I was really excited to see him in the team. Um, I was a bit worried because obviously he had that um, shaky time coming off the bench against Liverpool at Anfield, and he was also, you know, again against Sporting, he obviously misread that corner that they scored from, um, and it did look in the first five minutes like there were some nerves there. You know, we saw, I think he miscued a pass and played it straight back to Chelsea and passed the ball out of play or whatever. Um, but he grew into the game really nicely. I thought, as you say, he wasn't particularly challenged by Aubameyang. Um, and I think that there will be much tougher tests to come. I'm, I can see why Mikel Arteta was so reticent to bring him in initially. But you can also see the massive upside potentially has, which I thought he showed really well against Chelsea. You know, as you say, passing the ball really well. He seemed pretty confident on either foot. Um, and as a whole, it meant that we could push up higher. Um, I know Luke's mentioned the defensive actions, but you could see in our press, it wasn't just him, but him being in the team meant that our press was much better because we the players were much closer together. You know, we won the ball back so quickly, so often in that first half. Um, and obviously the second half was very different, but the first half particularly felt like, you know, Arsenal, when we were being... Well, you know, when we were beating Bournemouth and Nottingham Forest earlier in the season, when we were putting four or five past them and something that we haven't managed to do uh for a while so it was really encouraging i think that 
it seems like we've done good business in the transfer market again. It's one of those things that's a bit like Fabio Vieira and that you see the player he can be and the player that he is, and there's quite a big discrepancy, and you have to hope that on any given day he performs closer to the player that he can be rather than the player that he is at the moment. Um, but I thought it was really encouraging, all things considered, and I would be surprised if he didn't play against Newcastle. Yeah, I was I was going to follow right right up with that. Luke, are you on board with you know, that? Kivior did nothing to kind of warrant him not playing against Newcastle. Yeah, I would say so, to be honest. I just think that for exactly the reasons that Ben was just saying, the fact that it felt like Kivior had quite a big kind of chain reaction to the rest of the team. And if Arteta really feels like that is the best alternative to what we were playing before then it does make sense to me that we continue with it. I do think that it comes with um, its own kind of problems in the sense that it felt to me like Kirill was struggling to kind of get the ball to the right-hand side of the pitch, which is something that we had a similar problem with holding in with, which is probably partly down to the fact that he's a left-footed player playing on the right. But, you know, I do think that when you look at the essence of what Arsenal have been this season, the, the press is just so important. It's just... It's, it's what makes Arsenal like um, combative. It's what gives us our tempo. It gives us our momentum. We have to have that kind of dogged um, mentality about us. And if we have any kind of, I guess, doubts and start dropping a bit deeper, then it's just it feels like it makes us quite toothless. So I do think that we have to maybe find a bit of a way around that, kind of getting the ball to the right side of the pitch more. So I still think that that kind of white Saka Odegaard combination, getting it up to them in those kind of advanced areas is one of our greatest weapons that we haven't really utilised as, as much as we usually would do over the last few weeks. So if we can find a solution to that problem, getting it to them in good areas, then um, that would be really, really good. But if not, I do think the best solution is like is um, to have Kirill there, to be honest. Luke, I think in this match we saw Ben White overlapping a lot more than we had previously. Do you think that is a direct, I guess, because we had Kivior there rather than Rob Holding, and we weren't, you know, similar to the fact that I was mentioning with, uh, you know, bringing Thomas Party back to kind of help him in when we're on the ball, keeping uh, Ben White further back and not doing those overlapping runs to help him out defensively. I guess, do you, do you think that that's kind of a one to one? correlation there or is it just kind of a, again Chelsea are really bad and then didn't offer as much of it yeah yeah no I do think there's something to that to be honest I do think that in the last few games we have seen Ben White drops into it to make it free and party has dropped him to make it free it did feel like we were felt the need to kind of get a f- like bodies closer to holding than we would normally do whereas it did feel like against Chelsea a bit braver we were defending more with that kind of center back pairing with the um with the free in front of it and as you say Ben White was able to get further forwards um and I do think that's probably partly to do with with um the recovery pace on show and I think we just you know we squeezed up the pitch a lot more admittedly we have to partially credit that to how bad Chelsea were because they were you know, as stinky as stinky gets in terms of a Premier League game. I think that I've never really seen Chelsea um, play this badly in a game against Arsenal, to be honest. This this is a team that over the last maybe like decade, decade and a half has given us more trouble than any team possibly in the Premier League. Like in terms of when you look at how good they were, like under like the Jose Mourinho's and, um, and the Carlo Ancelotti's and stuff like that. But to see them as they are now, and I think if you look at our recent run form of them, like... Um, from Lampard's first spell to Tuchel's spell to Lampard now, it and I guess even like the game against Grey Potter, I think we've won like um, the majority of like the last five or six games we've played against them. So it's really, really funny to to kind of see us 
almost kind of Chelsea then, what it did to us, especially when you think back to the, the game at the start of last season when Lukaku kind of bullied Pablo Mari and everything kind of seemed in the ascendancy for Chelsea and looked like they were going to become part of that kind of like that club of Man City and Liverpool and they were going to be the next people to challenge. And then it's kind of almost completely switched places now, now that the momentum's completely switched and it's us challenging City. And when it's Chelsea... It's just it, it, it's a little bit sweeter. Do you know what I mean? It's not it's not quite Spurs sweet, but it's a little bit sweeter. Yeah, I think in just given the context of where they are, it's great to just kind of be another team to kind of you know kick the shit out of them, I guess, and kind of put them in their place and kind of further push them down the table and just kind of they're on this terrible run. They're, they've been on this terrible run under Todd Bowley pretty much the entirety of his ownership. And yeah, it's just kind of obviously, you know, as as a fan, Chelsea have, like you said, given us a lot of grief over the, the 20 years of the Roman era. And so now it's kind of we have to relish in the opportunity, even if they are really shit. You know, we still have to go out there and, you know, play accordingly. And so, Ben, I don't think it's I don't want to frame, you know, the entire discussion about oh, Chelsea were really bad. And that's why we won in, in the first half. That's why it was so convincingly, because I do think that we did do a lot of things that were you know, very, very positive. And I think a lot of it did start with having Jorginho back in there because he brought a level of control that we have not had with Thomas Party in recent matches. I thought that he I guess from just a simple like positioning standpoint, he just he, he was in the center of the pitch, and so that you know freed up Martin Odegaard to be also you know be able to find pockets further forward and not be having to come so far back to receive the ball. He was able, you know, he scored two goals in the box, making you know really impressive runs into the box, and overall, I thought he was you know, obviously one man in the match, but overall, he was you know very effective at in his just like chance creation. I think that kind of stemmed from. Like I said, control and having Jorginho there look further up the pitch, it kind of you know setting that tempo. What do you what do you make of Jorginho's performance and kind of how our our attack kind of clicked? Yeah, I think um, obviously Thomas Partey's not had his best few games, um, and I think to be fair, part of that is because he has been dropping out of that central midfield role into more of like a back three or to come close to holding and. Jorginho is more of a controller, I suppose. Like we we kept control of the ball really well, and he seems to know when to play sideways and when to play forward. He has that sort of knack that some midfielders have. Um, obviously, he has his shortcomings, as we've spoken about before. But because of how Chelsea played, they weren't particularly exposed. Um, and overall, I thought he was he he exerted a really, as I say, really good control over that first half particularly um and it's just the ability to recycle the ball from you know 20 yards further up than we had been before with the defenders um just yeah it felt like we had our foot firmly on Chelsea's neck from about the 10th minute onwards um until well until like the 55th or whatever it was when we stopped playing football but um he was a massive part of that there's no doubt and I as I say I have my doubts about whether he should start of the weekend I think it was a really encouraging performance I, you know Newcastle are a much more physical side than Chelsea and I think that they will have you know they, they won't just come back come and sit back 
um, especially in front of St. James's Park. You know, we've had our demons there. So I would be, I wouldn't be surprised, but I would certainly have sort of minor heart palpitations if he started at St. James's Park. But he showed all of the positives that he brings to what Arsenal can do um, against Chelsea. And it was, yeah, really impressive. Luke, I want to talk about Martin Odegaard because he now has 14 goals and seven assists in the season in, in the league this season, and for Arsenal, that is the most the highest amount of goals and goal contributions of any midfielder. If you take away penalties, because Cesc Fabregas had a couple of penalties in there, so that's why he had more goals. But for for Arsenal, Martin Odegaard now has scored more, you know, open play goals than any midfielder. First of all, you know, I don't think any of us kind of expected that when we signed him and you know, going into the season and this has been just a fantastic, you know, his goal, I guess, output is one of the reasons we're in the position that we are. It does seem like he comes with a, a lot of timely goals. I thought that these goals, you know, were some that we've seen in, in recently that he, especially the first one hitting that first time we we've seen those go over the bar or, you know, they've gone, gone wide. We saw you know, Aston Villa, he missed a pretty easy opportunity. But yeah, I think, I guess, you know, my question more to you is kind of like first big picture, you know, his overall development into this pretty lethal goal score. And then also kind of, you know, in the context of this game, you know, how is he so effective? It's, uh, I find it really surprising to be fair, because I think when you look at any of, the, of his kind of clips from like his time at Real Sociedad or before he was signed for Real Madrid or even like the the kind of few games he played for them, you see like this this silky playmaker. Like I remember that that pass he made for Real Sociedad that went viral, the one where he kind of picks the ball up on the right wing, he cuts inside and he kind of plays it through like five or six players just to that point where it crosses the keeper and the keeper can't commit to it and the player taps it in. And you think this is like a final pass guy. This is a guy that's going to get like um, uh, Ozil type assists. And I do think there's a few like kind of stylistic similarities of Ozil like he kind of has that grace like he has almost that um uh, that kind of how he kind of pauses the game with his own touch like he plays the game at his own tempo how he kind of gets the ball and kind of shifts his body weight to certain ways to kind of influence how people are um going to press him and how he gets through him that way but the thing you never really saw of him is I never really pegged him as a goalkeeper like not goalkeeper a goal scorer he doesn't strike the ball that cleanly he doesn't feel like he really gets into that kind of those kind of positions, but this season it's been completely different. He just it feels like he's arriving in the box. He's kind of getting these great positions. He's shooting a lot more. He's kind of got the confidence to shoot a lot more, and he has become, you know, it's undoubtable. He's become um, uh, one of the kind of the big pieces to, to Arsenal in terms of goal scoring. And I think if I'm not mistaken as well, I saw a stat yesterday that said that. He's closing in on like the numbers by like um like like De Bruyne's best season tally for goals in the league. He's closing in on Lampard's best season tally um in the goals for the league or something like that. So this isn't like this isn't like a like a fluke. This is um we're seeing something like pretty special here, and I don't think people are really taking it into account properly. And and it also means now that Arsenal have four players with ten plus goals in Odegaard's uh, Martinelli, Saka and Gabriel Jesus, which is something that no one else in the league has been able to do. So it just shows that where before the problem for Arsenal was goals from midfield, like no one um, from midfield tended to get any goals for us. We kind of were so reliant on, on Aubameyang getting goals. Now we're able to share the goals around. So it means that probably the reason why we've had injuries this season and for the most part we've had to kind of navigate them well is because we've been sharing the load so well. And I think that, you know, where you've seen that 
Martinelli is now level with the the best ever Brazilian goal tally in the season. Odegaard could end the the season with a very respectable one in in midfielder goals. Um, I think even Jacker is is on like ten for goals and assists combined. So even Jacker's playing a part. Wow, is it twelve? Yeah, five goals, seven assists. It just it just goes to show, doesn't it? Like when we do press that high and we have that mentality and we can get the midfielders in the box, then then anyone can score a goal. Yeah, and I'm thinking back to some of the uh, nearly goals or near, I guess assists that Odegaard had. I know there's some where he had you know incredible little pieces of skill in the box, and it you know his pass went to Granit Xhaka, who obviously is not a lethal finisher. And if that had fallen to somebody else, then it, I think his his assist would be a lot greater than seven. Let's talk about Granit Xhaka because I think against Man City, it was pretty obvious that he it was. You know, the ghost of Granit Xhaka that he was not there. He had been ill and it was just, yeah, pretty evident that he was not there. But like you mentioned, he had two assists. Uh, both of them were almost identical looking assists to Martin Odegaard. Um, he got back to you know, popping up in those wide spaces again, which I don't think we had seen as much of. Again, could be, you know, one of those downstream effects of having having to pull Thomas Party deeper meaning that Granit Xhaka needed to be you know, pulled. You know, obviously, he wasn't playing as a double pivot, but pulled a little bit deeper. Um, ben, I guess let's talk about Granit Xhaka. And he, he has five goals, seven assists now. That That's, I, I believe it's his highest goal output in a season he's ever had in his career. And I would imagine it's probably also his highest assist output. Is that, you know, the, a similar effect is kind of what we were talking about with Martin Odegaard, just indicative of the quality that we have in the team right now that somebody who's not known as a goal scorer or really he's known as you know the the pre-assist kind of guy but now he's getting those final uh, final balls and and scoring goals yeah i mean um if chelsea could have been bothered to mark him we might be talking about a different sort of performance but um he was excellent against against them as we said um he seems to be really enjoying that more advanced role. Um, and it's it's weird, isn't it? Because, as you say, the Granit Xhaka that Arsenal fans thought they bought when we bought him was like, he was the alternative to N'Golo Kante that summer because we missed out on Kante. And then he started playing as that deep-lying midfielder. And I remember Arsene Wenger was coming out and saying he's not a deep-lying midfielder at all. We're just playing him there because we don't have anywhere else to play him. And then, you know, he's... he's his Arsenal career died because of that, and now he's become resurrected as this sort of, as you say, goal getter, final ball player. And he's not, you know, there will be a way to upgrade on his technical ability um, in this Arsenal side. But the amount he brings in terms of leadership and stuff, I think, is is vast, or was vastly underrated before this season. Um, and I think, yes, you know, against Chelsea, he was really, really good. They were, as we keep saying, Chelsea weren't great, but. Um, he sort of shows what he can still bring, as if to say, like, look, I'm still here. I can still learn new things. You know, those pre-rehearsed crosses to Martin Odegaard were excellent. You know, pinpoint both times. Uh, I think the first one went through was Enzo Fernandez's legs. Um, so you know, he is still capable of growing into that position and learning that position better. And you know, he's starting. I think he was better there. Um, against Chelsea than he's been from much of the season. There was a game, I can't remember again, who against who earlier in the season, 
at the Emirates. So I thought he was excellent there. Um, but again, on Tuesday he was yeah, it was brilliant. I mean, as as we said, the whole team was brilliant for that twenty minute spell. But the way that he was winning the ball back and progressing out the pitch, and he always seemed to know where his teammates were, and everyone was close together, so it made it easier. And yeah, he turned in a top performance. Yeah, at halftime, at least here in the the U.S., a lot of the uh, halftime analysis was, you know, it, it looked like Arsenal were just, you know, it was, it was a, a training exercise that, all like you said, all these rehearsed passes, it was like Chelsea knew what we were going to do and were purposely told not to stop it because it was just, you know, training the different patterns and stuff like that. But obviously, a football match is not just a first half. There is a second half, and I think we should kind of talk about what changed Luke, we obviously went into halftime 3-0 up, so you're kind of expecting, even as bad as Chelsea are, we're not going to be that dominant for the entire 90 minutes. Do you think that kind of what happened in the second half was us taking our foot off the gas, kind of you know playing, you know, being a little cheeky on the ball and kind of obviously dropping the intensity because there's no need to keep that level of intensity when you're up 3-0? Or is there something, I guess, specific that Chelsea did that kind of neutralized our attack and kind of pushed us back rather than us kind of taking the foot off the gas. I won't give Chelsea that much credit, to be honest. Um, I, I think mean, they brought in Kai Havertz and took off Aubameyang. And I, I think that did change the dynamics of, you know, Kai Havertz likes the ball to his feet and, and is much more of a playmaker. And so rather with the Aubameyang, they were playing with 10 men because he had four touches in open play, yeah. something like that. So yeah, you know, obviously helps. For sure. Yeah, Havertz definitely was more effective than Aubameyang, which is um, probably not really a compliment at this point in time. But I do think um, that we kind of started the second half the same as we played the first half. And we had one or two opportunities where we could have got the fourth, which I think would have maybe killed the game completely if the game wasn't already dead. And then maybe kind of becomes a bit of a training part game, but we didn't score those chances. And then I do think that the players had probably had in their minds, you know, this game's dead, we've already won it. Um I don't want to call it showboating, but I do think that we stopped doing the things that we probably needed to do. And I do think that it kind of represents what we need to do for the the next stage of our evolution, which is we need to be a lot more ruthless in games like this because at the end of the day, goal difference may not mean anything at the end of the season, but goal difference is one of the aspects that Man City has over us. And this could have been a game that we could have made four, five, six. And if we kind of stuck to the plan and played the second half like we played the first half, then it does probably become four, five, six. But it did feel like we let it become a bit of a basketball game. It went a bit end to end. They had chances that they probably shouldn't have had chances. This is a team that, like we said in the preview, that for the entirety of last month, their only goal was a deflected long shot. So we shouldn't have really given them the chances. Even at when we were one nil up or I think was it one, one nil or nil nil like Chilwell had that chance. Ram still, yeah. yeah Rams had to make a good save. It's, I think that the next thing for us is that we need to stop giving teams stuff that, that, that other teams wouldn't give them. Like, like the city do have off days. And I think in the Leicester game, Leicester came in quite back in the second half, but this, it's not something that usually happens to usually city suffocates the team. They, when they go a few goals up, then they get more in the second half. And I think that's that's the next thing we have to do. We have to become ruthless. We have to have that mentality that we may have killed the game in the first half, but the, the second half is, is an opportunity for us to kind of make a statement. Like we should have made that game beyond doubt. And I think the fact that it ended 3-1, which is, you know, loads of positives. We played well. We got a good scoreline. We beat um, a team that is always really, really nice to beat. It's good to, to kind of see 
a good chunk of what we would call the real Arsenal, but at the same time, three one feels like a respectable scoreline, and and Chelsea probably didn't reserve a respectable scoreline on the day. I think it's really interesting. I'd or I'd be interested to see. It feels like we always concede a stupid goal at home. Like no matter who we play, there's always just a ridiculously either lucky goal or we do something stupid or it's like a set piece and we switch off like I remember obviously they're all or nothing clip of Ramsdale after he conceded against Villa uh, fuming in the changing rooms but it does feel like away from home we're a lot more disciplined I mean <laughs> we were um, until we started going tinnel up but um, at home it always feels like no matter how strong the grip on the game whether it's you know Leeds United at home or, or Bournemouth or or even Villa, like we just concede stupid goals for no reason. And I'd be really interested to know, I suppose, why. Because I do, I don't know, I feel, I wonder whether maybe the players get a bit comfortable. Like in the home stadium, cruising, three and a lot, maybe the sun shines out and then bam, before you know it, we've conceded. Um, and as you say, I think that's something that maybe we need to iron out. But then also I think that might be something that's ironed out with a deeper squad where we can make changes sooner, you know, bring on players who are more laser focused on winning a place back or, you know, scoring the next goal or whatever. I don't know. I just thought that was something to bring up. Yeah. Well, Ben, I think we've only had three clean sheets or something like that at home all year. Like it's something absurdly low, but we've won a lot of games. If you had to guess, like, I guess, why is that? You put out a couple of different possibilities, but if you had to, I guess, say this, you know, have a hot take of this is why. Ben. Sorry, I thought you were talking to Luke. Um, well, you're on mute, so I'll go to Luke. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, Sorry. <laughs> I think that generally we play like, it feels like there's two different Arsenal when we play at home, right? We have 70 minutes of usually brilliant football, brilliant offensive football, um, and then it just feels like there's a 20-minute spell, not necessarily at the end of the game, but just throughout the game. It just feels like we switch off. Like maybe we get so comfortable and so confident that we're playing nice football and scoring goals that we just take our minds off of it. And I think that is partly of, of experience. There's, as we've said so many times on here, that this is the second youngest squad in the league. Sometimes you have to go through this kind of thing to know how to be focused. And I think probably Arteta will be drilling into them for next season last season we considered goals here 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 and here that we shouldn't have done when we were cruising because we took our foot off the gas we took our eyes off the ball and um, uh, if that keeps happening then eventually it's going to cost us so I think it's a good place for us to wrap things up hope you guys enjoyed this breakdown it was obviously a, a very enjoyable victory over Chelsea it was good to kind of right the ship good to get the three points and kind of have a, a comfortable victory in we're obviously in the middle of this run-in. We have just a couple of games left. We have a massive match on Sunday going to St. James Park. We will be back you know, probably tomorrow to preview that match. My name is Justin. You can find me on Twitter at JFishAFC. You can find Luke on Twitter at Ecclecoon and Ben on Twitter at BenBrowning3. We'll catch you guys later. Erdegaard is joining in, and he's seen Bakayo Saka beaten out by Lloris and touched in by Jesus. Bakayo Saka. Yeah.